All right, all right. Good morning, River City. All you beautiful people who made it here on time. Congratulations, the few, the strong. Amen. Live stream. What's up? Glad you're here. Drop us a comment so we know you're watching with us. Um, so today's a fun day. We're going to talk about fasting. Who's pumped? <laughs> I'm pumped. All right, um, we're going to go ahead and read our Psalm 91 passage from the lectionary. If you guys would stand with me. Psalm 91 says, You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, because you have made the Lord your refuge, the Most High your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, no source shall come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. So those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them and I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. So one of the ways that scripture really comes alive to me is by song. So if you just want to take a minute and pause, Craig and Myra are going to lead us in a, in a song specific to Psalm 91. It's straight out of scripture. You won't know it. So just close your eyes and let's like meditate on this. The secret place of the Most High God Within the shadow of the Lord Almighty will abide The one who dwells in The secret place of the Most High God Within the shadow of the Lord Almighty will abide So this is your invitation today. Make God your shelter. Make God your hiding place. So again, this is your invitation to step wholeheartedly into worship, not only in the word and in song, but in message and just with your whole self, your whole heart. So Jesus, we come to you today thanking you that your presence is not exclusive, that we don't have to come in in our finest robes and in perfection, that we can come as we are. 
God, would you show us what it means to kind of step into that space of you being our shelter, that we are guarded by the Most High. Thank you, Jesus, for being here with us today. You're worthy of all of our worship and our praise. In Jesus' name. If you will stand with me for prayers of the people. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing that you have made and forgive the sins of all those who will turn away from them. Create and make in us new and apologetic hearts that mournful of our sins and acknowledging our misery, may we receive from you the God of all mercy, perfect forgiveness and peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. As we embark on our journey through Lent as individuals and a community, we lift before you the brokenness in our lives and in this, your world. We remember those who are suffering due to weather, suffering because of the isolation, suffering because of illness, suffering because of grief, suffering because of war and terror. Change our hearts, oh God. May our transformation this season be life-giving and thorough. May we wash ourselves inside and out, cleaning not only the outside, but our inner lives as well. Gracious one, we know your desire for us is true transformation, not just empty promises, but justice, kindness, mercy, and humility. Help us to choose the work to which you call us, saving people from oppression, feeding the hungry, providing shelter for the homeless, clothing the naked, ceasing to place blame on others, quieting our evil speech, putting an end to war and violence. This is not easy work. These are lofty tasks. There's no way for any one of us to solve any of these problems on our own. So we learn to rely on you, O oh God, and to rely on our follow, fellow travelers through life. We lift our eyes up to you, great shepherd, knowing that it from you our help comes. Empower, empower us to do your will and your work, and this is your world. We pray, amen. Thanks for everything, everyone. It's been a great day. It's been a good weekend. Super excited about today. I think... Because, if you're asking why, this passage, I think for me the passage of Scripture today is one that will probably go down in my life as one of the most formative in the whole span of my life. And it seems to grow every year, but it actually is a passage that's connected to Lent, which is where we are now. If you weren't here Wednesday, Bill and Jay and some others led us through our very first Ash Wednesday service, so I want to give it up for them as well. It was really great. So, but now we're in, we're, we're actually in Lent, and I'm excited about that. But before I explain a little bit about that, we've been in kind of an all-church, we-all-go-together idea for the past couple months, and we're going to stay in it for a little bit. And what we're trying to do in that idea is really kind of lay into five specific things. And those things are, as a body and a part of a body, these are things I kind of think should be expected from and for. The first one is spiritual formation, the idea that we are to be formed more than just through one talk a week. 
but that we step into as followers of Jesus being formed on a consistent basis. The second one is being present. That's just kind of the idea of physically showing up, but also while physically in places to actually be there with your in parts so that you're actually present while being present, which is maybe more important for us as Western citizens that we can be very at places but not be anywhere near the places we're actually in. The third one, we started last week with my friend Aaron, who, who came and uh, he's from Wesley Foundation, and he shared about a life of prayer. And I, I was specifically struck by one kind of phrase, which was, if the prayers you're praying were being answered, would you have space for them? And I had this thought, and I'm just going to throw at you, but it, it's a little bit like if you had a friend, you kept asking to come visit you. Every day, come visit, come visit, come visit, come visit, come visit. You're writing them letters, you're calling them. I want you to be here, I want you to be here. And that friend showed up and we're like, we don't have space in our house for you. That's, I think, sometimes what it's like to pray a prayer that our lives aren't ready to have answered. And so that, I thought it was a beautiful start last week. Go back and listen to it. And this is our second week in this that we're gonna be talking about prayer. And then serving and giving are coming very soon. And so... For us, this is an important day because this is also the way we're framing the rest of the first half of this year, stepping into prayer as a body. And so one of the ways we do that is Lent. Like I just said, we step into Lent, and the idea at Lent is we're stepping into fasting and prayer, but I want to diffuse that for you because I know just the statement fasting for some of you is very alarming because I've had conversations with you this week. So I want to frame it a little differently. What if it's more about an invitation into a place that's been created or a created space to be present with Jesus like you don't normally give? So the idea of fasting something, right, isn't the idea of stopping something. It's the idea of putting something down to take something on. What if we were to take on the life of God for 40 days? What if we were to take on Jesus' desires for us for 40 days? What if we were to say no to the things that we kind of already know are just a waste of our time or getting too much attention from us? So it's really a decision to step into fasting, but also just creating space to have more of Jesus present, which I think should probably be all the time for all of us anyway. So we're going to start today's with chapter three in Luke, but it's not gonna be our main text. But I'm gonna read it to you first because it's pivotal. So if you'll open up your Bibles to Luke chapter three, verses 21 through 23. It says this. Now when all people were baptized... And when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice then came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So this moment for Jesus is up to this point, the most important moment of his life. This is the moment where he receives a brand new ID, identification. And it's now the identification that is stronger and more important than any identity he brought to that point, which could have been many things. Carpenter, 
actual physical son, 30-year-old, wherever he was from, whatever he was doing. At that moment, this is God saying, this is actually who you are. And this will be what everything else will be built upon. So he takes this time to receive it. And then it goes through a litany of how he's connected to all these people all the way back to Adam. Just to emphasize the point, this is the son. This is who he is. But as if that weren't beautiful enough, he has an encounter that literally could change his life. But even for Jesus, he's then led by the Spirit into something different. I want to read you this. This is your main text for today. This is chapter 4. And it doesn't really say this previously, but as you travel through 3, evidently there's a filling of the Spirit for Jesus, so much so that it actually identifies that as his entry into this. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, who has just recently told him who he is, given that grace by God, now returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdom of, kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I give it to you, I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall not worship, you shall worship the Lord God and him only shall you serve. And then he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. It's peculiar. Pray with me real quick. Jesus, I thank you that your scripture is alive, whether I bring life to it or not. It has the ability that Jesus has because it is the Logos, it is the living word, it's the lively oracles. It's important. Your scriptures are important. And so I thank you that this text is specifically for this time in the year and for this community of people. And as we step more deeply into this, I pray that the ringing in our ears and hearts as we hear this is that they and you are the beloved and that we would receive that as our identity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so I wanna start with a little bit of a peculiar, it took me six times reading it this week to, to see this, and I don't still like the way it was left with me, and it's this. Jesus is willing to be led, and we all kinda of know that, and we're like, well, sure, Jesus is humble, 
We know these things about Jesus we don't necessarily also impose upon our own Christianity. Jesus is willing to be led. And in one of the versions, curveball, ooh, this is gonna get scandalous. He's led by the spirit, yes? Does everybody agree on that? Also, he's led by the devil. Everybody cool with that? (laughs) Nope, not cool with that, right? Jesus is led on multiple occasions right after his identity and he's submissive to the process. The thing about Jesus that I love is his wisdom in who he follows and says yes to is also important. Jesus led by the Spirit, Jesus led by the devil in one of the translations, to temptation is a big part of how Jesus wants to exemplify himself to us if we're gonna be his followers. Instantly, we should be thinking, are we able to be led? Am I able to be led? Who is leading me? Am I only leading myself? Jesus is willing to be led. He's not stupid, though. Jesus isn't stupid. He's humble, right? Jesus is meek. He's not ignorant. He's able to be in a place where he could be formed, but has the wisdom to know when formation goes bad. Something I think the body of Christ needs to step more deeply into. And now the same anointing spirit that led him into the wilderness, is leading him away from his previous IDs with the desire to give him ample space to go deeper. And Jesus is led into a space by himself to deal with a couple things. In one of the translations, there's wild beasts about, right? Jesus led away from the people he knows, the people who want him, the people who've been dragging him aside, the people who are also saying things to him that aren't necessarily his identity. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, Story of Israel, the story of our Christian tradition, wildernesses and deserts and barren places are some of the most formative places for our entire lives. And as he steps into this place, he's dealing with where are those wild beasts and what are they doing? And there's voices and who should I listen to? So there's voices and conversations and wild beasts and it's just Jesus in the desert with the spirit. Given the ability to discern what would be the voice of God, And what would not be the voice of God? If there's a stronger season since I've been in ministry for the body of Christ to be able to discern the voice of a loving father, it's right now. To be able to discern how the enemy brings to us ample, secondary, artificial opportunities to claim our identity in things that have nothing to do with who our father is. Things like prestige and safety and fame and ego and power. And Jesus is told a 100% truth that is true when he's hearing it and true when he's going through the desert, but then he's given a space to live into it. And he has to have a space to live into it because this is where he learns what he needs for ministry. And without it, without the ability to be vulnerable, to be hungry, to be powerless, he can never operate in those things. This is for us. What will we choose? What will we choose when we're lonely and obscure? What will we choose when the thing we've been praying for, the hopeful spouse that we would one day receive, isn't present? What will we choose in those situations? And Jesus has given three very distinct opportunities in 40 days to discern the presence of God. He's beloved, he's famished. He is valuable, he is vulnerable. So there's three specific things. 
turn these stones into bread. Well, at first glance to me, that's something I've heard too many times, and it's very easy to understand. Abuse what you've been given for right now. But there's a deeper question here. What do we do with unmet hunger? What do we do when we don't have what we need? Jesus is leaning into the presence of God and asking, what are the hungers below the hunger? What's, what's really at play with this? Because that's actually a good thing. It's like the Father is giving him the opportunity to decide if even good things can replace the will of God for his life. These aren't necessarily sinful things. They're, yeah, he is the Son of God. What do we do with unmet hungers? What do you do right now with unmet hungers? Jesus is given the opportunity to cheat it, circumvent it, become bread king. I don't know if you guys remember, I had a sermon one time called Bread King. I honestly don't know if I heard the sermon and it made like its way into my persona, but it stayed with me that Jesus could have at this moment become just the king that was remembered for producing bread, even with the 5,000. But Jesus is saying that hunger and the ability to quench it will actually impede the deeper hunger, which is every word for my father is like food discernible recognition that something is happening in me. Here's what I think is really interesting about these three temptations that we're getting into. So, I don't know what that, it sounded like AOL 1994 just happened in the room. (laughs) Anybody anybody live there with me? No, Micah, it's okay. (laughs) All right. Okay, I think we're online now, so we're good. <laughs> a little bit lost, but that's okay. <laughs> it's like I'm in the desert preaching about the desert. Mm, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so this first one, this is his opportunity to cut corners. It's like, you already know you're the son of God. You can do this, do it. There's something deeper here. There's something deeper he's trying to get to, and it actually is directly related to how he'll be used in the future and his calling. I want to read this PowerPoint, this, um, this quote from you. This is from Debbie Thomas. Many of us give up something for Lent each year, chocolate, wine, television, Facebook, sports, social media. The goal of the fast is to sit with our hungers, our wants, our desires, and learn what they have to teach us. What is the hunger beneath the hunger? Can we hunger and still live? Can we desire and still flourish? Lack and still live generously without exploiting the beauty and the abundance all around us. Who and where is God when we are famished for whatever it is we long for? Friendship, meaning, intimacy, a home, a savings account, a family. Is there a way for us when those things aren't what they should be to lean into God and to wait for him? Number two, worship me and receive power. This is very important because this is the idea that the beloved of God cannot be obscure. The beloved should not be in an unrecognizable spot. And Jesus, instead of receiving his significance from what he could become and later does through a different means, decides 
the way of God is actually more obscure and more humble than what's being presented. If there's a time in a Christian community season to lean more into the subversive, maybe obscurity, maybe the ability to not be recognized, the body of Christ right now is in a prime spot. It's almost like we're in this spot and he's forming it in us and will we choose to become significant by other means? Do we have a need for applause, stages, recognition, for our blogs to get more likes, for our Twitter to have more followers, for our view count as a church to have more people? Do we have a need when we step in to be seen instantly? Have somebody shared with us how gifted we are? You know, this is one of the most abusive things I think I've seen in my history is recognizing someone's giftedness or how God has blessed them and then placing that upon them as they step into Christianity as an identification and it's not able to house the kind of life that Jesus wants us to live. It's not enough to just be good at stuff and live abundantly. And so are people who have the opportunity to receive recognition for how they've been gifted, which is all of you. All of you have something or something, there's something in you that's so beautifully made by God and so in the image of your Father that it could be abused at some point. But, but do we give space, even when that can happen, to be obscure? Are we comfortable being unknown? Are we comfortable knowing that I've been equipped this way and someone spoke to me this and I feel this hunger for this but not having any type of feedback about it? Jesus has to settle in with the kind of obscurity, the kind of waiting that it takes for formation to build out a calling. And this is on purpose. He could have decided to receive his significance from something he could have done. So a good question for us is, does our version of success even look like the one that God is asking? And this is important for me because I have made a serious claim on knowing that how I perform in ministry does not decide who I am, right? But I still at times evaluate based on that same set. So while I believe it to be true, like Jesus could have believed you are the son, I haven't gone through enough of a desert to really cleanse that kind of out of me. So when I perceive what I'm doing as failure in cultural context, I place that on myself and I live a kind of lack, non-abundant death kind of life that really actually impedes all my relationships. When Jesus all along is like, that's never meant to be your identity, right? Because Jesus' version of success looks like a cross. (laughs) Jesus' version of success looks like some of his own disciples turning their backs on him. It looks like a desert when he should be unleashed to just lay into the world with just a beautiful calling. He's in the desert with wild beasts. And the third one, really quickly, the third one has to do with vulnerability. And the third one is basically... You protect yourself. And the message that's kind of hidden underneath this is that to be Christian is to not be vulnerable. To be Christian means that you should not have to be human. And so while that's easy to hear in a statement, we live very much like this. My woundedness 
is not up for grabs. It's not on the table at conversations. That's why when we walk by people, I, I, I try to do this today, and somebody says, how you doing? And you're like, I'm good, how are you? There's like two things to say and then everything else is off, right? If you say anything more than just, I'm great, my day's good, then that whole conversation just became uncomfortable for everybody. <laughs> like if you actually answer, spend today answering that question honestly. I did it to somebody, I don't know who it was. Was it maybe you back there? He was like, how are you doing? I was like, ah, my schedule's too busy and it's my fault. I mean, <laughs> I just, <laughs> and it was awkward. But I think the reason it's awkward is because we're only comfortable living at a space where no one really shares where maybe it's not right. And I think what Jesus is trying to say to the enemy here is, I could do this with only my God-likeness, but he's also human. And it's really important that he shows us his humanity. Because if Jesus can be led by the devil... If Jesus has to be in a spot where he is being led into temptation, if Jesus is feeling hunger, if Jesus is maybe feeling some kind of brokenness, we have to see that in him. And we have to see that our most wounded areas, this is the place I think out of all three temptations that we will struggle with the most. Because for me to say to you, I'm not doing okay, for us to really honestly answer the busy question, to really honestly answer the hunger beneath that hunger, it just got really uncomfortable. If that conversation really happens, because all of us have to say, I'm searching for my value in what I'm doing. And everybody around me is affirming it. Everybody's comfortable with you and me running at a pace that is literally impossible forever. And the reason why is because no one is living into their beloved son and daughtership. Because if we live into that, we go at a pace that is jarring to a culture that is going a thousand miles an hour. That's why Sarah, this past week, decided her schedule was too busy. She decided to walk everywhere. It's just a simple step in the right direction, literally. She walked here to do a rule of life with our staff. She's walking to people's houses. She left her car because her pace is too much, right? And her pace is too much because there's something else underneath it. And Jesus is hitting this right off the bat because he wants us to know that our vulnerability is not what we're saved out of. It's what we're saved into. In it, resurrection doesn't happen for the person who's fine all the time. Right? Like it's resurrection happens when we find out where we're broken and dead. That's where resurrection, see, that's the power of Jesus, is he wants to be the God who resurrects, but we're the, we're the people who don't, don't want to confess. It's not comfortable to confess. We don't want to be in a small group or a group of people where they're going to ask questions because it's not comfortable to be honest about where we really are. I'd rather just live at this humming pace and then you fizzle. And so Jesus is like, no, don't do that. Wait on God. Wait on God. So this test too, and I just want to kind of, these three things, it reveals a strategy that evil doesn't just work in don't do this, do that. It's distortion. It's a truth kind of off. It's CNN and Fox News. I, I can't at all. 
because it's all skewed. It's the way the enemy sends the right and wrong things together. So there's confusion. It's distortion. So I have, he, he actually shares with Jesus, I have all power to do this for you. No, he doesn't. Can you trust your father? Yes, I can trust. All these things to get at these two things. Don't trust what he said. Don't trust who you are. He forms distrust as faith. So it's better to be distrusting, right, or cynical. That's a safer, that's a safer avenue. To be the cynic appears to be confident in what you know, but lacks any faith at all. So faith here looks like waiting. It looks like waiting it out. And I love that Jesus is filled with the Spirit to start, right? He's full of the Spirit-led. And then right after this, 40 days, filled with the Spirit. And then he's led into ministry. And each of the things in the desert space have exactly to do with how God would use him in his entire life. So there's no version of the story or a version of our lives that are what they need to be without a desert, cleansing the things in us that need to be cleansed checking our allegiances, seeing who's seated on the throne. Because power, covering your needs, and protecting yourself are decent secondary gods, but they're nowhere near to Jesus. They don't provide anything that Jesus provides. And so the Spirit led Jesus there, right? But Jesus had to choose to stay there till it was complete. So I just want to present this to you. If you feel kind of a tension between what you desire to see happen and where you are, I propose that you give space to your father like you haven't before, not as if he's grading you, but as if he's desiring to be there more than you are. And make some kind of decision in the next season to create space that wouldn't have been created and replace something with more of him. That could be as simple as coming to intercessory prayer at 9 a.m. at church, or it could be spending time on your back porch, or it could be just sitting for five minutes and doing nothing and allow him to fill you and build you out. I'm gonna read you this quote again from Debbie Thomas. It says this, what does this mean for us as we begin our Lenten journeys this year? Maybe it means it's time to follow Jesus into the desert. It's time to stay and look evil in the face, time to hear evil's voice, recognize its allure, and confess its appeal. It's time to decide who we are and whose we are. Remember, Lent is not a time to do penance for being a human. It's not a time to embrace all that it means. It's a time to embrace all that it means to be human to be human and hungry, human and vulnerable, human and beloved. So today I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, but I want you to close your eyes as I start. Because if you'll remember back to chapter three before the desert scene, there's a picture of Jesus being told something that forms all of it. And with your eyes closed, I'm just gonna pray this over you. I'm gonna pray it in a statement. And it's very simply this. You are the beloved of the Most High God. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. 
and he is well pleased. You are the beloved of the Most High God. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. And right now, he is well pleased with you. And I pray that the spirit and all power of heaven would be able to witness to your innermost depths and grant you a willing spirit and grant you the ability to receive the gift that you've tried to earn for so long. I actually pray that things would just begin to dissipate that are, that are trying to claim your allegiance for an identity that's already there. And I, got, I pray, God, that you would restore intimacy within your body. Now I pray for those in a desert, whether chosen or unchosen, that they would feel the comfort and the voice of the Holy Spirit and the witness and the nearness of Jesus, even in the midst of wild beasts and trying to discern. And now, God, I pray for discernment, that your people would be able to discern your loving, shepherding voice. We would be able to discern it so that our kids could see that in us. In fact, I pray, God, that we would present what it really looks like to listen and wait and hear the truth whether in obscurity hunger or vulnerability I pray for this Lenten season God in this fast that we would step in as a community and that you would build out together a people that would seek your face for about a couple minutes. I want you to just kind of stay in your seats and just be at peace and maybe breathe and just sit still.
So in your seats, there has been presented to you some thoughts on the practice of fasting that will hopefully be helpful. If you already know that this is really creating in you a very uncomfortable thing, I would love to meet with you after and just pray with you and talk with you. But on the back of this sheet, all the way at the bottom, if you'll actively maybe follow follow along here, these are the intercession points for our community that I, I actually believe as a community that we all are to pray for. So I don't think it is actually a correct representation of the body to to not be a part of this. So that might feel strong for you, but that's the way I feel that this kind of thing works. And that is, these are the prayer points that we are going to lay into in every way we can for the next 40 days. The first one is the Ukraine. And I would actually include Russia there as well and the people that God loves all over that place. The second one is the lease in our future for RCC's physical space, which it's not in a bad spot. I just want to... Last week when Aaron was praying, I feel like we kind of made some decisions recently to kind of re-up the lease, and I don't feel that we shouldn't, but I want to create more space for God to answer prayers there than we've created before, and I want us to pray about it. The third one is opportunities for RCC after Smyrna Prep ends its lease in May. Our, our church allows a school to lease this space, and it's it's been a good partnership, but we've decided recently that we're going to move on from that. And so after that, we're praying about what to do in this space. And there's some ideas, but we want our body to pray about how to use our space during the week. And then the, the next one is that we're actually looking for three positions right now, two to be hired, a hospitality lead, and we'll have job descriptions available this week for people to read. And then an RCC administrator. We're actually trying to hire two positions soon. And then we're also praying for God to provide the right prayer leadership for our church, a prayer lead. And so those are three things we could pray and I believe God would answer. And so I would just ask that you, as you step in, if you're like, well, I don't even know what to do while I'm fasting. If you replace a meal, spend some time just interceding about those things. If you don't know what intercession is, come talk to me and I'll share some things with you. And so um, if you'll go ahead and stand with me. There's two, spa- there's two spaces that are compatible with this. Starting every Tuesday during Lent from 7 a.m. to 8.30ish, we will have intercession at the table. This means a person comes, we have things we pray about together, and people have the opportunity to pray. We also have intercession on Sunday morning, so there's two places to join the body with prayer. And I would love it If we have too many people, it's uncomfortable at prayer. That would be my most favorite thing that's happened this year. So please join us. Jump into the fast. Jump into this community part. So we're going to have two people that are going to be, two groups that are going to come up for prayer. The specific prayers for you if you'd like during this part. And just hear me with this. You struggle really believing that you are the beloved of God and that doesn't even make sense they're going to read that scripture as a blessing to you so that you understand this is actually more than just people trying to convince you. They're going to then pray for you. So if you would like prayer for that at all, please join us up front after we sing the doxology. If you're going to hang out and talk, I would love that, but we would also love it if you would do that in the middle area while prayer is happening, okay? I'll come up and close right after we sing the doxology. 
Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.